1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Latitudes in Session podcast. Joining me today in the Airbnb studio, we have Alex Chop, Derek Bradis, and Corey Godar. Boys, thanks for uh, joining the show. Yeah, morning. 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 How you feeling? Uh, it's been a long week. Legs are a little sore, Jake. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. We did 18 yesterday. Yeah. We got 20 to do today. Maybe. I love it. Uh, we've got a five-day scouting trip planned, and... It's been awesome. We found a ton of good stuff. I mean, I've been with Corey for five days. You've been with Derek. And I just want to go through your thought process and kind of your mentality and getting into the scouting of a different state. What your plan is, that like are you a three to five year plan type of guy and how you base your scouting around that. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I never come into a new place with extremely high uh, expectations. You know, I know that it's going to be a struggle at first. Um, but for this trip specifically, just because of our experience in the hills, kind of like you always do, right? Like focus on scrapes, focus on areas that concentrate the deer. And for me, I know that I might be down here for the rut. We don't know when we're going to be here, right? So I want scrapes, which will concentrate deer all season long. And then I want doe bedding for when we're here in the rut. And, um, I like knowing where the doe bedding is because I know I can drop in here on a last minute hunt and probably be productive or at least have some action. Um, so that was my focus going into this was to find those two things. And I think, I mean, I think we all did a good job of doing that. I feel really comfortable with where we are right now. So off the bat, how are you putting yourself in the right location? What type of things are you looking for on your maps? Uh, just, just the standard, um, e-scouting stuff, right? Like when, where are my, where are my betting points? Where's my food? I mean, the, I always think about e-scouting from the perspective of the deer. They need three main things, food, water, and cover, right? And with some of those layers on Onyx now, you can really find cover pretty easy. You can see, a lot of the times you can see water, right? Especially where we are down here. There's water everywhere. And, um, and then ag, it's, ag's a weird one for me. You know, I'm not really familiar with ag growing up in Michigan swamps. Like we didn't really hunt a lot of ag. Um, but those are the three things I look for on the map for sure. 
So for me, it's it's trying to find a balance in a new area, a place I've never been between something like I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. You know, I, I know hubs very well and I try to look for those as much as possible. But in the back of my head, thinking, what if this new area doesn't set up and hubs don't work the same way? Well, I've kind of thrown all my eggs in the same basket. Yeah. So do you try to find a balance between what you know very well and like new, diverse type of terrain? Um, I, I definitely, I go in with it with an open mind. It all comes back to that food, water, and cover for me, wherever and however they're getting that. Um, so I guess one thing I've learned is the map can only take you so far. And I love staring at the map. I mean, I do it as like relaxation at night. (laughs) I love staring at the map. So, but it can only take you so far. Almost every time I go into an area, it doesn't look like I think it was going to look. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't really focus on something as specific as hubs and hub scrapes, right? Um, but it's something I like to see for sure. Yeah, I like that. I noticed that I would pick these systems and I would have like this very straightforward view and approach on what I think is going to happen in there. And then you would look at my map and you'd pick like this little ridge that just had like an hourglass shape to it or something different. And that was really interesting to me that you just, you're, you're focusing on those smaller details where I have like this broad view and I'm like, well, I'll get in there and put boots on the ground and see if I yeah. can come up with anything. Yeah. I mean, we're, we've been joking about that all week, right? I mean, you cover a lot of ground and I, I think that's really good. I wish I could cover as much ground as you. I just don't have it in me. But, uh, so, but I think that a lot of those little like detailed spots, sometimes I'll see something on a map that I've seen before and had a good encounter, like that Wisconsin deer that we saw at rock that was an interesting terrain feature there. And so now anytime I see that on the map, I usually mark it. If it's by food and it's by water, I usually mark it. So before we get into like the actual events of the first day, when you go down in, like, say you get down in a hub system, like the hub system that we were just talking about, uh, how are you beginning your day? Are you starting in the bottoms? Are you starting up top? Are you just kind of going by the feel of it? Um, I think it just, it depends on, I usually know in a system, right, there's usually a few different spots in that system that I want to hit, whether they're high or low, that just depends. But I usually try and pick out some kind of efficient route you know, where I don't have to walk as far, Minim- minimize the, the time I'm spending going from one focus point to the next. Um, so that kind of dictates the route that I take when we're in these systems. Yeah. And we do the same thing. I mean, we would sit here, you know, create a line. It's a 10 mile loop that we're going to do today. Uh, the thing that I really try to focus on in these trips, just from an efficiency standpoint in my own head, which I think we defer at a little bit is we're staying in the bottoms like 99% of the time and just running the bottoms looking for that sign. And from talking with you, you're jumping up on that ridge quite a bit. I mean, you're not, you're not just going down through the entire system in the bottom. You're changing elevation. You're looking for beds. You're doing the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. And that, I think that's part of that's because I have missed stuff in the past that I've stumbled upon later and I wished I knew it was there. Like there's this in that Ohio spot, um, there's a, there's a scrape that it's not in the bottom, but it's, you know, it's lower than the lower one third, but it's, it's not in the bottom. <laughs> so, but it's a huge community scrape that's hidden that I never would have found. 
if I was just running bottom. So, um, but I think it goes back to the whole, you know, you love to cover as much ground as possible, which is, which I really like. It's just, I take my time a little bit more in there, I think, um, yeah. just because I've missed stuff. Yeah. I, I like that approach though. And I'm going to start adopting a little bit of that approach that you're doing more where I'm looking for one specific thing that sets up the way that I want to hunt that deer. And if I get it and there's a good deer in there, I can just kill him. But I'm not really like highly detailed in these areas like you are. And I mean, the proofs in the pudding last year, you had how many good encounters? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what the best way to go about it is because the way you're doing it is really efficient, right? Because if you find that deer, you know, you can kill it. Whereas I can find a deer. And we were kind of talking about this earlier, early in the, earlier in the week. I can find a deer right, but that deer might not be killable, and I'll spend time trying to figure out how to kill it. Whereas you just take that out of the equation, right? So I think there's value in doing it that way. I don't know. I think maybe it's just a personal preference thing for me. I like I like new things. You know, I'm a little I'm I'm the most ADD hunter ever. You know, I'd ra I'd rather sit in a different scenario every single time I hunted, just because it's exciting. But yeah, I can I completely understand that, and it is an excitement thing as well. So, day one, uh, we can talk about our day a little bit. We went out and got in a system right off the bat. Uh, looked great on a map, and this is where the different states are going to be a little bit difficult to fine tune at first. But it's a it's a matter of adapting. So we got in that first system down in that hub that looked great. I mean, it poured out to the west. There was ag at the end of it. It was everything that you would want to see. But what we didn't recognize off the bat, which is something I look for now, is the bottoms of this hub were 400 yards across. Yeah, they right? were big. They were, they were really wide hubs. It was like swamped out. There was basically a river system, multiple rivers in there. And it just really changed the travel routes of the deer. I mean, they had a couple spots where they crossed, but it, it didn't seem like they wanted to come down and cross very often. Uh, this area had a lot of weird burns on like white oak flats. You want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, I think we should. Um, I mean, it, we went back. I mean, Jake, one thing Jake does very, very well is he's not going out to the woods to walk around. Like he has a plan, like his scouting always has a plan and a route, you know, predetermined based off the map. But like you said, Alex, you, you don't know what's actually going on until you get in there. And that's what happened to us at this one is it looked phenomenal. But once we got in there, we realized really quick that it probably wasn't as good as we thought. And uh, it turned out uh, either the DNR or someone had burned uh, pretty much all the cuts. And, you know, the big thing we picked up on is did that burn happen before or after a lot of the oaks dropped? And if it happened after, you know, there's not going to be much left on the ground for the deer and it seemed to dictate a lot of what was going on i wonder why they're doing that is it fungus like tree fungus we saw some fungus around so i oh i thought yesterday when you asked what that was i'm like maybe that's why they're doing those burns it could be i was thinking i don't know if it's a like an insect control thing or yeah. some sort of fungus control or if they just don't want the understory and they want the white oak seedlings to be able to pop through uh. and not have you know, there's a bunch of things running through my head, but I don't really know the answer. What I do know is that it made those clear cuts like uh, it was a zero out of 10 yeah. for me. I mean, there was no bedding. It was wide open. It was like, the, it was weird. It was like a, an overgrown field in the middle of the woods, pretty much with no green briar, no vegetation at all. 
So that changed our plan quite a bit. We went through that whole system and really never found anything. And we found quite a bit of hunter sign. We found unmarked four-wheeler trails, Jeep trails, the whole nine yards. Uh, the recreation, I think, yeah. was you know something we realized we needed to quickly avoid. And there was a lot of that going on there. And I think those real big bottoms, those bigger tracks of land, allow that to occur. Yeah, they just, I mean, people look at it and probably think that they can mud. And we saw like Jeep ramps and stuff down there. It was yeah. insane. So uh, that night we went back to the Airbnb and what was our process for trying to fine tune the next day after we got our butts kicked? <laughs> Basically, it was to take a step back and kind of evaluate that what we thought was going to work is not working. And we needed to change our mindset of how we were uh, picking a piece to go scout. And so we started looking for things that were a little, I would say, not as obvious and got away from the obvious stuff and got into more of the niche uh, spots. And once we started doing that, we kind of got back into the sign and it started looking a lot better. Yeah, it did. I mean, we basically just said, okay, these macro level hubs are junk and they probably all aren't junk, but we just decided in our heads, like, let's not waste any more time. We have to be efficient. We only have a few days to do this. Let's you know, look at our maps and then go to a micro level and find these little overlooked hubs. A lot of times it was like smaller parcels of land too. We didn't want to be on these big giant 15,000 acre tracts of land anymore. We tried to narrow that down to just a, a small general location with like one specific food source and like three or four bedding areas. And day two I mean, worked out pretty good for us. Yeah. I mean, we kind of started focusing on stuff that's a lot harder, harder to access and uh, got away from that recreational draw that I think was bringing people in. And uh, as soon as we did that, the hunter sign, you know, it stopped. Um, there was a lot of terrain features that made accessing these spots very difficult. And, uh, you know, taking the time to over overcome those and actually get back in there, um, things started to light up. And from a validation standpoint, we hopped up on that one ridge and we found how many sheds there? We found six sheds on that one ridge six sheds on one ridge they were old and small but that's just a good sign it's like okay we get away from people we get away from the tree stands we get away from the recreation and we find exactly what we want a bedding area they're dumping down a ridge into a hub they're hitting a bunch of hub scrapes and then they go up to a food source and they're dropping their antlers to and from along the way so from a validation standpoint after day two i felt like we were dialed as far as like finding what we're looking for and being able to go in there and replicate that exact circumstance all right so day one and two for you guys how was uh day one do you remember drock i don't it's been, it's been a long time <laughs> um, weeks ago what did we do on day one um let's see on day one we we went into that spot with the bamboo oh yep. the bamboo bottom we'll call it um and that was an interesting spot. It was a big bottom, and I think we were drawn to that just because of the proximity to ag and then the um, the terrain features for batting for that spot specifically. And we went in there, I think my first reaction was it just looks a lot different than what I was used to. I, I remember thinking, like, this feels foreign. Yeah, and you, we weren't anticipating it being flooded at some point, too. Yeah, and the flooding that's going on, too, is that's an interesting variable because I think a lot of stuff has been – in the bottoms, everything's kind of changed, right? Because it, it was flooded so bad that it was flowing. So 
scrapes are covered up, so you're kind of looking for licking branches, and um, so that was that made it tough. And that area had a lot of deer, which deer density is good. I like to find that. That makes me feel good. Um, but we didn't find like any buck sign. Oh, it's almost zero. <laughs> In the top, on the top or the bottom. So, um, we hung a camera down there because it was, there was enough deer. We did find a good set of tracks. Um, but that was mainly just getting our bearings that first afternoon. Um, and then that night when we went back, we started to look at the map again. And I think the decisions from there were very vegetation driven. Like we knew that we had to find that, um, you know, the, the thick stuff up top. And we, after being on the ground, right, you can be like, oh, well, that's what that looks like on the map. Yeah. And so I know that in my head, that's what I was doing when we got back. I was looking for that specific vegetation stuff that we saw at that first stuff that we wanted to find on the ground and, and mark that on the map. And that's how we picked a spot for the next day. So before we get into day two, let's cover that a little bit. Let's cover the vegetation, the vegetation on top your thought process there because we saw the same thing and how were you looking for that like what tools were you using to find that vegetation um so there's uh i guess we were looking for the thick stuff and um it was a mix of different things in this spot it was some coniferous forest up top and there was um just a lot of undergrowth where we were but it looked a very specific way on the map and and so we did use some of the layers on the mapping apps. Um, you know, those are accurate sometimes and sometimes they're not, but you can tell a difference on the map just by looking at it. Um, so I would turn on the layer and then I would go and confirm that it looked like where we were after seeing it in person. Um, so for the next day, that's, that's what we did is we just marked a bunch of spots that, looked like that because we know that that's the thick stuff on top and that was that was key for sure yeah and it's such an odd little feature to kind of dive into and dissect I and mean, we saw the same thing we were like okay let's turn on the coniferous layer and look for these pine tops or these cedar tops and in relation to a hub and as soon as we did that i mean we all had a ton of success day two yeah, yeah the pine tops the first couple trips out we noticed that but didn't like take it you know, as law. But then after a few days, every time we we saw the pine and cedar tops, usually there was something going on there or something yeah. stemming from that. Especially right now too, because the woods is so open. Like, I mean, yeah. it is wide open if you don't have any, any pines around. So I have a feeling that's playing a part in why we're seeing deer densities around those areas. But um, it'll be interesting to see if that holds true during the season. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, the the tops that you're in, are you seeing a ton of sign up there as well? And is that sign dictating whether or not you think it's a good area? We saw there, there's a lot of deer sign. There's not a lot of buck sign, which for me, I always, obviously I want to see some big buck sign. But a lot of the time, if I see a bunch of rubs and everything's torn up and sometimes that can be a bad thing because that means you got some some smaller bucks around that are just kind of destroying the area right because they're just young and ready to go and it's more competitive for them because they're competing with all the other young bucks 
Um, so in these areas where we saw a lot of deer density, but we didn't see a lot of buck sign, that was a, that was kind of a positive for me, honestly. Yeah, it was. Because we've spent a lot of time in areas that are just torn up, but you, you just don't have the big deer in those areas. Those big deer don't have to make the sign. I believe that. Yeah, I believe that too. Um, and we kind of saw, I mean, we, we saw the opposite really, to be honest with you, which is, I think the different areas that we're looking for, yeah. you know, we're looking for a little bit of different type of terrain. Uh, we got into the, all of our good systems and the pine tops had giant rubs. I mean, we were finding rubs the size of our like thigh to waist. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And that could be smaller deer doing that though. I mean, the size of the rub doesn't necessarily mean a big deer. Yeah. Like he could be scratching it with the outside of his antlers with his tines or anything else so you took what you learned on day one you evolved and adapt yeah. into day two and how did day two go day two was a lot better i don't even remember the morning i don't remember the morning but it definitely was a lot better um confidence was a lot higher right after we stepped in the woods there i think yeah i mean um i don't remember the first spot we went to but um i think the first spot was a bus but anyway we the second spot we went to had that that cover up top and a lot of it. So we we planned on spending a lot of time in there. We ended up spending the rest of the day in there, and it it, it paid off. It, it had everything that we wanted, and it set up perfectly in terms of access and huntability because that's another thing that I'm personally working on this year is finding spots that I can actually hunt because I've wasted a lot of time in spots that were good and held deer, but it, they're not huntable. I'm walking in there, and I'm busting everything up, and they know I'm there. So this spot was perfect. I mean, it's got great access. We can hunt it on any wind. There's a lot of cover, a lot of deer in the area. Um, so I'm really happy with that spot. I'm yeah. excited to hunt it. Were you guys seeing the sign? Like, were, were they bedding actually all the way up on the top in the pines, or was it just outside the edges? Um, at, at this spot, it's, it was, there was bedding in the pines, and then on the edges of the pines. But this spot was also, there wasn't a big elevation change. This is, this was rolling hills compared to where we were, where we are now. Um, so I noticed that too, like in the shorter hills and the ones that are more gradual incline and decline, like those, that bedding is very spread out, it seems. So I guess I don't know if that's a disadvantage or an advantage. For us as the hunter, um, but this there was bedding in the in the pines, but there wasn't a big elevation change, so they didn't have anywhere to go really because the bottoms were wide open at this spot too, like wide open. Yeah, we saw the same thing, and the accessibility is a, a huge thing. I mean, I don't think enough people focus on that. You can have the best hub in the world that sets up perfect, but if you can't get in it the right way, it's junk. You know, that's, you could have somebody accessing from the private down below and you can't enter it, or you just coming down the ridge, you're going to blow all the deer out every time. So we did the same thing. We were looking for spots that we could access. It was, it's still going to be more difficult. And that's one thing I want to be able to hunt that spot, but I want it to be difficult for most people to get in there and hunt it. Yeah. So finding that balance, because if it's too easy, if you have the road at the end of the hub that just leads up the drainage, it's probably not going to be very good. You'll probably find a ladder standing there. For sure. You, you, you might not, but. So we looked for something like uh, kayak access in one spot, or you have to go up and over a ridge and drop down like the one drainage on the northeast side of the hub, and then you can get in there and kind of J-hook in against those beds, if you will. So that's that's something that we've looked at in all our spots. I mean, even the last two days as well. Yeah. So 
So Wednesday we got rained out, and then Thursday we kind of switched areas. We moved a little bit. Uh, how'd Thursday look for you? See, that was yesterday, right? So that was a good day. It was a fantastic day. Yeah. Yeah, we – um. It's funny because we – our Airbnb happens to be really close to a spot we had marked. And um, and so that worked out, just dumb luck, really. And um, so it's a nice area, and we went into it yesterday morning um, with actually a very concrete plan, which is kind of rare for me. Uh, so, but um, – but every once in a while it works out and we, I mean, the first bedding point we went to, we, there were beds everywhere. There was deer sign everywhere and, you know, there was a nice shed and, um, and it never really got worse from there. So it was just one of those, yesterday was a really good day. One of the best days I've had scouting. Was it what you anticipated as far as the travel routes where you thought they were going to bed, you know, the pine tops on top, you picked them out and said, okay, there should be beds around this. They'd all kind of set up the same way from what you've evolved on in the last two days, right? This area, this was one of those situations where everything was where it was supposed to be, which is nice and rare. So, um, I was, I was very happy with everything that we saw yesterday. So with what you saw yesterday, what's something that you think you need to focus on come this fall to try to kill that deer? Because a, you found some, I mean, beautiful antlers in there. So that's a great question. Um, well, it's interesting because right now the deer were obviously very concentrated. I mean, we bumped probably 25 deer off this one point. And so in my head, um, you know, keep in mind, I, I've never had a lot of time to scout in the spring. So this is, I mean, I've scouted in Michigan in the spring a lot, but in terms of scouting in these other areas, like I've never done any of that. And um, so I'm curious to see how things change. And I think they're going to change because like the first, um, the first point where we found the, the first big set of sheds, we walked up to the top. There's a very defined bed up there. I stood in it and I looked around and man, what he can see is incredible, but that's going to be totally different come, you know, early season or anytime the leaves are on the trees. So how is that going to change where the deer are, are concentrated out there is going to be a big variable when we get to the season. And I think the cameras are going to help, you know, I mean, we're running a good number of cameras back there. So that'll be really cool to see that data. Where are you running your cameras? What are you? What kind of features are you running them on to try to find these deer? Well, so yesterday we we found a very localized area where we think this buck is living, right? And I've never hunted a deer. I've never found sheds, right? So this is a totally new experience for me. I know he's a big deer, so I know that that's probably his core area, and so I'm just gonna operate under that assumption that he's gonna be in that that system somewhere and it's a huge system so when i say system i mean that part of the system um and so hanging cameras we did a f we basically surrounded him like we found two beds that i would bet you know my house on that he's he's bedded in those two beds and they're on opposite winds and they work for north and south and both so i'm just gonna 
assume that that's his bed and he's going to get up and out of there based on the wind one way or another. And that's how we set up the cameras. So October one, you come out here. Are you checking those cameras or are you taking a shot at that bed based on where you think he's traveling? I'm going in. I love it. Now, do you, do you, so when you're scouting and this is something that I try to pay a lot of attention to is kind of the food source shift. And not only do I see bedding change based on the food source shift, but obviously travel as well. So do you anticipate him coming to the field or do you anticipate an acorn shift where you guys found like a really good white oak flat adjacent to that bedding area that you think he might, might travel, might change his travel routes? Yeah, I think, I think that, um, the acorn variable around here is going to be a challenge because there's, I've never seen so many oaks in my life. I mean, they're everywhere. If those things are all dropping, we could have a, we could be challenging. I think we found a couple very active scrapes. They actually weren't in the bottom. Um, well, I guess those ones on the other, there was one on the other side that was active. So I would probably focus on those. And then we also obviously noted some very specific, um, oak flats that are very close to where he's batted. I like that a lot. So that's exactly how I try to go about it as well as here's his bed. This is a bedding area. He could travel north to a food source to like, let's say a cornfield, or he could travel northeast to an oak flat or even east or west to that oak flat. There's a lot of variables there. And it's easy to say that you're going to go in on the fly and hunt the sign. But when a deer can see two or 300 yards from his bed, it's not that simple. Yeah. So what I try to do is find a scrape. And from what I've seen, these big mature deer love hitting their scrape before they go to a food source. He wants to leave a little bit of sign and then see if anything else has been around the area before he leaves. So it's like bed to a focal point, And then they broadcast out in a bunch of different trails and directions. And I think if you can get to that focal point, that's what I focus on. And it sounds like you're going to do the same because that's try. That's what I was getting at is how can you how are you going to get in that system and try to fine tune what food source he's on, on the fly when you know how far he can see? It's yeah. just, it's, it's a lot to handle. For me too, I always think about, you know, the deer is going to, there's a destination that he wants to get to, whether it's food, maybe it's food first, maybe it's water first, or maybe it's the scrape first. But whatever that destination is, just pick one, you're kind of guessing, right? Like, what does he want first? Is he hungry or thirsty? And then you got to assume that he's going to move in a way that allows him to go to spots that he can see or smell from his bed. So, you know, if he's looking down in an area, he might drop down there because he can see it, but then he better be able to turn a corner to go into the wind on the way out to the food. You know, because I I think that they only move in that way where they know 100% they're safe, which, so, so going back to how would I... What am I going to do October 1st? It's going to depend on that, that wind. And what are his options? You know, like how can he move out of there? Because that's how I always look at it. Because if you're not assuming, otherwise it's a total crapshoot, right? I think that's a really interesting topic, Jake, because you and I kind of talked about that throughout the week, that you're finding these deer drop down into these hubs, and it's usually a wind ever back bedding. But a wind ever back bedding in a hub means that deer is tailwinding down to that hub scrape. Yeah. And Alex, I know you've talked a lot about that a buck's always going to leave his bed into the wind when possible. But, you know, it's kind of two different scenarios there that, you know, what is allowing these big mature deer to dump down into that hub 
wind over back with a tailwind. You know, why is that deer doing that versus the deer, you know, out in Nebraska, for example, leaving the bedding area immediately into the wind? And, you know, what is dictating that travel? And why do you feel confident that, you know, a deer is going to tailwind versus a deer is going to leave into the wind? Well, if he can see, it's see or smell, right? Like, he's got to be able to see or smell where he's going. That's what I think. Yeah, and the fact that they can lay in the top of those hubs and observe all day, you know, he's catching the thermals rising up through that whole drainage. It could be a mile-long drainage, and those thermals are going to pull just a little bit up to that deer. So he can smell all those thermals all day, and then he's got the wind over back. And I just feel like at night, he's doing, it's basically just like a bed setup as he's moving. The thermals start dumping down the hill, and as soon as you feel the wind hit you in the face, you know he's going to want to get up. And that's exactly what they do. Wind hits you in the face as you're looking into the hub where he's bedded, and he gets down, and he's traveling with the thermals dumping downhill. This is how I'm targeting my deer. He's traveling with the, the thermals dumping down the hill, hitting him in the back of the head, and he can see out in that hub, and he just you know, makes a beeline. And you just, it's so hard to get in there and hunt that. And they've never had that type of encounter with a hunter that they don't expect it. They're almost cocky in some of these spots. I'm looking for the cocky deer. Yeah. I want the easy to kill six-year-old deer that's been doing this for a long time. And he thinks he's bulletproof and he's never seen anybody get in that hub. And like we come in up a drainage and just get up one stick high and flank him and shoot him. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. I noticed that with your, your scouting a lot, Jake, is once you found that, you know, the next step was always finding the tree that did not break that advantage plane. So if that deer ha is betting on a side advantage, you know, your setup has to be, you know, defined so that you are not breaking that side advantage on your way in at any time. Because if you do that, you're basically just wasting your time. And, you know, we were talking about that a lot that, you know, the, picking that tree once you've found the bedding, once you've found the hub scrape is, it's vital if you're actually going to kill these things. Yeah, and it's, sure. it's difficult because you could kill them way out at the end of the drainage. Like if we check, the way that we do it is we stage our cameras on the way in. So we get as close to that ag field as possible because all the spots we're targeting have ag. It's just one of those things that I can, I know that, I know what the travel is going to do the majority of the time until we get like the big acorn shift. So put the camera out by the ag source and we'll check that one. Hey, he's daylighting here three days a week. Go no more. Just set up right here. or Hey, he's here an hour after dark. Let's press on. And then we go up to the next hub system within that system, you know, further up the drainage. Bam, there's another camera and another scrape. Let's check that one. And the big thing about these cameras is being able to check them without being seen or smelled or heard. But also, like, I'm, I'm paying attention to my boot scent a lot. Like, I'm trying to, you know, circle in from a creek to check them or pop up. I never want to walk right across the trail. That way, if a doe comes down first or a subordinate buck, they're not going to, they're not going to smell you. So like, I want to get in there and check that camera and then just back up, like, let's say five to 10 yards and get in the tree I need to be in without ever leaving that scent profile over their trails. So it's, it's a matter of, you know, fine tuning that whole thing. Um, so as far as hunting these systems, we've talked about access quite a bit, but I'm just curious if you have any sort of thing that you're going to look for access wise into that spot, because right now, it might be a little difficult to access and hunt where that deer's at, right? So what kind of things are you going to try to do this off season to put you in a better spot to be able to access that easier? Uh, th yeah, that's a great question. It is going to be a challenge because part of me thinks that he can see the food. Like, well, I, he can see it right now, but I'm, I'm thinking that even early season, he might be looking right at that food source, which is what I would be doing if I was, if I was a big buck, that's what I would do. I would, I would love to watch the field that I'm going to. And I, 
I wonder how often they're doing that because all of that, uh, all the deer concentration and, and certainly the buck concentration in terms of where we found these sheds, both these sets of sheds were, I mean, they were a hundred yards from each other and they could see the ag where we, they could see ag and water at both of the spots without moving from their bed. So in terms of getting in there to hunt, I'm, I'm worried about that. I mean, I think it's going to be hard. Do you think that you can, I mean, the way the public sets up and a lot of the best spots out there, like when you find, when you find these little hidden gems, a lot of times it's because the access is almost impossible. Yeah. And do you think that sometimes the only way might be like knocking on private, trying to get permission to just cross their land to get into that system? I think that's a great solution. I don't know if that's going to work specifically here. And the only reason I say that is because when we're walking out right, the private guy's got his truck pulled into the back of the public with his dog hanging out. And I'm like, oh, he must do that quite a bit. I mean, there were, so there was a big buck bed and then there was some doe bedding. And then I think there was some satellite buck bedding. I mean, he's basically set up, even if he can't see, right? He's set up so that the other deer can see that field. So even if I came in from the private at this spot specifically, I would have a problem. Um, so at this spot, we're going to have to use some vegetation as we go in or something. I, I'm not, I don't know. I like a rainy day or high wind day or I don't have a solution for that yet. I got to think about it, but, um, I think the whole private land access is a great play. Yeah. So Everything we've talked about as far as that system and this deer that you're going to be targeting has been revolved around, in my opinion, afternoon sits. Uh, is there any chance that if you can't hunt an afternoon sit, and not necessarily this deer, but in a system, would you ever dive in in the morning in one of these systems to try to catch those deer coming back? I might be doing that on the opener just because of what that we were just talking about. Okay, so let's dive into that a little bit. How would you, how would you target that deer? You know where his bed's at. You know where he's feeding. Yeah. I believe that they drop down below their bed or come, you know, they're J-hooking their bed either vertically or downwind, right? So they're either catching thermals to get back up into their bed or not. So I would, that might be what I do. Like I'm leaning towards a morning hunt just sitting over his bed so in, in quotes, right? Sitting somewhere around his bed to try and catch that J-hook because we've done that in the past and it's worked versus... I've I've had a hard time in the evening getting in some of these spots, even just because you're going into the bottom. And I know you're very successful at doing this, but I think partially probably because I don't wait for the perfect wind. But man, I get some bad winds in those bottoms. I'm more comfortable in the morning always. So I'm opposite of you in that sense. The morning is where I'm most confident. So I think it'd be a great play to hop up there in the morning. To paint the picture of this whole setup, We've got a hub system that has, I mean, like a dozen different potential bedding points. Yeah. It's got a ton of, of sub ridges that jut out to the north or any direction, like northwest, northeast. And these deer are kind of filtering to the north down to an ag field. So on any sort of south wind, whether it's, I it could be west, southwest, it could be east, southeast, that 270 degree wind direction, they're probably bedded in that system, right? So... How are you going about scout? Like, how do you scout differently for a morning sit versus an afternoon sit? Because, and this is a selfish question because I, I really don't know the answer. I mean, I'm, I always feel confident that I can find a way to sneak in there 
quietly and efficiently and get set up and kill that deer in the afternoon. But in the morning, I don't even know where to start. I mean, my thermals are dumping downhill towards the food source. I feel like he's going to come in. He's just going to smell me. And so I just avoid it. It's just something built up in my head. Uh, so I'm just curious how you go about that. I don't think I scout any different in terms of scouting for a morning hunt or an evening hunt. I think when you access in the morning, I always put myself in the, in the, in the shoes of the deer. Like, how am I going to most safely get from this food back to my bed? Those spines, right, that everybody always talks about. I mean, that's a real thing. That's how they get back into their bed. The challenge is, is what elevation are they going horizontal on the ridge? That's what I've always struggled with because I've seen it all over the map. I've seen it way up high, but I've also seen it way down low. You know, we in Ohio, in the same spot, I had an opportunity at a buck that was traveling the bottom to go and turn and go up the spine. But then I also had a buck that was traveling upper third to J-hook up into his bed. So it's a challenge. And it depends on where the ag is, right? Is the ag in the top or the bottom? I love when the ag's in the top. Because when the ag's in the top, they have to drop back down. And then they, they drop down and then go back up to their bed. That's an easier ambush for me than when it's in the bottom. They could, maybe they're going right up and then J-hooking their bed. So in this specific spot, would you hunt like the scrape in the bottom? Would you hunt the J-hook in trail? In the morning? Yeah, or would you try to shoot directly into his bed? Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to even kill a deer like that in the morning. So like in my head, I would like just not knowing what I'm doing in the morning, I would probably try to be set up exact like directly over the bed to shoot him in his bed just because I know where that's at. Like it's, I don't know how to find the J hook trail for the specific conditions. And I feel like, like, I don't know, does that change based on wind direction or velocity or all these other factors? Is that something that you constantly have to evolve and tweak your setup on? Or do you just take a shot at it and say, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to be close. And if I'm wrong tomorrow morning, I'll come in a little bit different. I do just take a shot at it. I, I mean, I don't have it down to an exact science, but, um, the best, my favorite scenario is when I can get two parallel spines. So a lot of times these spines will actually be multiple spines, right? They're just small and you can't see a small little dip there. So a lot of times we did this in Wisconsin and it almost worked. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah. um, we had two spines that were parallel, but they were facing the same direction and you could shoot from one spine to the other spine. They were that close enough. It, it, those tiny little ones that you can't see on the map. But in that scenario, you can get your scent to blow off one edge. And if he comes up that spine, you're okay. Barely, though. You know, it's dicey. Everything we do out there is is risky, whether it's in the morning or the evening. Um, so you're always kind of gambling when you go in there. So at least that's my attitude. So I don't worry about it too much. I know he's going to jay hook his bed one way or another. Make a decision. Pick one way to go about it and see if it works. And... um I don't know. I think the morning's a big opportunity. Yeah, def I, I completely understand that. And it's starting to make sense. The the one thing I'm still trying to wrap my head around is like proximity as well. You know, how how close do you like to be to the bed? Are you trying to get as close as possible? And then how do you get out of there after the hunt? I probably you? like to be as far as possible. Yeah, I was just about to say that. You you're a big stage runner. Sitting on a deer's bed is something I would rarely do. Because, I mean, once you, I think once you get to a certain proximity to that bed, he's going to get you. I think especially in the hills, right? Because you got some thermal action going on in the morning. 
Now, it's a, it's a timing thing, too, in the morning, right? Like, when is he – and that's where that being far enough away but not too far is really challenging. I mean, it's not a for-sure thing. It's hard. It's hard, and it's definitely a risk. It's a risk in the evening, too, right? Just how you're stage hunting closer and closer and closer. Now, I guess the disadvantage in the morning is you can't check your cameras as you go in. All right, Corey. So day four for us, we got into a couple different systems. We decided to travel about an hour south to start our day, get into a bunch of floods, yeah. drive yeah. around for two and a half hours to get to a spot. Uh, what do you think about that first area? I mean, initially it looked incredible. I mean, you and I talked about how it related to a lot of spots you, you hunt back home. And I mean, it, it set up and visually looked better than I think anywhere we had been all week. Um, the tops were very thick, a lot of green briar. Uh, the hills were a lot steeper, uh, making it a lot more of a challenge to access. Um, the biggest thing <laughs> that was a shock is, you know, even when we found the hubs that we thought were hard to access, we were running into hunter sign. And so it kind of got back to, you know, we were finding beds and we were finding spots that really set up uh, pretty well for a kill, but it wasn't going to be efficient for us because, you know, we got this curveball coming at us th uh, of the other hunters. And, you know, we found sign, hunter sign, in pretty much every bottom we ended up in. In the morning, yeah, we definitely did. I mean, the hubs, like you said, they looked perfect. Um, but the one thing that we did find is it would, it would, like, the tree stand would be in the major hub, but the minor hubs didn't have yeah. a ton of hunter sign. And so, like, we would you know, access into these spots, check the major. I always like to kind of check the major hub first to see what's actually going on and get a lay of the land. And is there a big scrape down there? Are there are a bunch of trails converging off these bedding points and then move up through the drainage and start checking the micro terrain features. And the majors are really easy to see on a map. The micros is not so easy. So the majors, surprisingly, I didn't expect it, but they all had like ladder stands in them, sometimes multiple stands. The one had three different stands in that bottom. But as we worked into the micros, we found more deer sign, and then all of a sudden a hub scrape would open up, and I mean it's kill spots. Like, yeah, I think even in the first two spots, we found two areas that we can kill if the buck that we want to be there is there. We yeah, and we were still finding sign in the bottoms that had the hunter sign. Um, so may, maybe a lot of the spots are gun spots, and not a lot of guys are bow hunting them. Um, but it it was obvious that when we did get into the micro hubs, the sign definitely picked up, and you know a big thing we were doing is we were finding a lot of the hunters, you know, I'd say at the mouth of the drainage, usually near the egg. And, you know, our tactic kind of turned into, well, we got to push in deeper than these guys, because, you know, if we sit back and play the waiting game and the stage hunting game, you know, these guys are going to be killing those deer. And so it kind of, to me felt like these spots were, we're going to have to be very aggressive right out the gate. And that was the only way we were going to get it done. But I mean, it, it was beautiful terrain. Uh, we were finding a lot of beds, and, and these tops were different than the tops we were running into, uh, like, even in the afternoon. Um, just way higher stem count, and it, it made the bedding a lot more obvious um, because they just had so much more security cover. But um, I, I would like to explore that area a lot more, but, you know, just due to time restraints. Yeah, and it was... It was weird for me because on a map, it looks perfect, but I think the problem is when it looks perfect, everybody else can see that too. Like this spot is one of the only areas around here within an hour circumference that has any sort of clear cut. And it was loaded with clear cuts. Every bedding point had a clear cut. And so that was something that 
drew us right into it immediately and we're like there's going to be beds there they have they have browse for the winter time they have a food source down below they have everything that they need to live in there and get big but the hunters knew that and so it took us getting away from that to actually find better sign yep right you know this the second spot so basically we were down there for half the day we checked two spots and then we decided okay let's get out of here the deer density seems really low which for me on an out-of-state hunt i'm not really playing the 170 game i'm playing the i want to shoot a mature deer game and so to me the best odds are to get back up where we've seen all the deer like driving around to go to dinner we're seeing tons of deer why would we drive away from the deer and i actually at one point i think we said like we've heard it a hundred times but don't leave deer to find deer yeah especially when you have public all around your area so we drove an hour back up here to the north and we found i mean probably the best area that we have yeah yeah the thing about up north is it was kind of the same scenario we found hubs on a map that looked phenomenal but as soon as we got in there you could tell the hills and the tops were not near as thick as down south and it took us a while you know we started just pounding ground kind of eliminating them that, you know, there's not going to be good bedding here. I mean, there's deer there, deer sign, but there was not a spot that screamed like, this is a big mature buck. And, you know, we'd get up on the ridges, you'd find scrapes on the ridges, um, but it just, it didn't add up. It wasn't like a calculated approach. It kind of felt like, you know, there's deer traveling through here, but they're not, not living here. It's not screaming at us. And so I think we, you know, kind of the approach was just to start eliminating them. And, you know, we just, pounded ground and you know next thing we knew we i think we did 18 miles um <laughs> but but um you know that we talked about this you know we did 16 miles and then 18 miles and both days after the, about the seven eight mile mark you know we went we were calling it roller coasters you know we feel confident going in looking at the map and then we go down the hill on the roller coaster and you know we feel defeated if we would have stopped at the seven to eight mile scouting mark we would have said we had a bad day, but we pressed on. And by we, by the time we hit the end of the day, the confidence went right back up the roller coaster. You know, we're right back up at the top saying we can kill a, a really good deer here. There's a lot of sign. We found a lot of good bedding opportunities. We found the signpost rubs and it just took a matter of, you know, pounding ground, eliminating spots until we finally found the spots that didn't necessarily scream on the map at us, but actually are where they're hanging out. Yeah, that's an important point. I mean, in the system that we focused on, you know, two uh, two points over, right, was totally dead. So it was very localized, at least for the buck sign. And then the cover on top, too, is an interesting conversation because is it possible that there can be too much cover? And I know what the answer is in my head, right? But um a lot of these beds that we found and we have found in the past and even seen deer come out of are very open, like wide open areas. In Wisconsin, remember that is the most open top you would ever you could ever believe, but he could see three hundred and sixty degrees for a long time. And I guess, you know, putting myself in the shoes of the deer again, I'd be comfortable if I could see all around me. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's something that like, I'm looking for the deer that isn't doing that. I'm looking for the deer that has that weakness where if you get the right, I mean, you could have a 170 sitting up on top of a ridge. And to me, I'm like, I can't hunt that deer. That's because a great he just, point. He's got, you know, everything going for him. And I'm just going to go find a deer that I can actually kill. Yeah. 
It's a great point. It just, it makes me think in these, because I always go to the thick, like where's the thick stuff? But, you know, I think there's a balance there because like just what you just said, right? Like, yeah, there are deer doing that, but that's not a killable deer. So it's interesting. Yeah, and the ridge tops around here, I mean, if I, I completely understand what you're saying as far as too much thick too. And I pay attention to that a lot where if you have bedding everywhere, how are you going to fine tune that deer? It's going to take a, it's not going to be very efficient, yeah. but like some of the spots that we got into, like Corey was talking about, we had no cover at all. I mean, these ridges are wide open. The only bedding that they would have is like a fallen tree. We didn't even have green briar in a lot of it. It was just, there was nothing there. And then you'd get into a two or three acre patch of pines and it was torched and there's beds all over the place. And so to me, that screams efficiency. That screams, okay, this is an efficient spot to kill a deer because he's focused on this one little area. And then you can just figure out, you know, where he's traveling and try to, and try to kill him based off that. So I think going forward in this area, we're going to look for that on the map. We're going to look for, you know, cedar tops or pine tops, not too many of them on good bedding knobs that dump down to ag. And we might even get away from the hubs a little bit and just look for that specific feature just because I think that it's efficient. How you found the hub we actually decided to target was really eye-opening to me. Um, we had gone through a few of them and kind of de- decided we didn't like it. It didn't look great. Um, and Jake, Jake t- took the approach of backing up. And so we, instead of walking another bottom, we backed up and went to the egg. And, and we just basically walked along the egg until we found a set of tracks in a hub scrape near the egg that we thought was going to hold like a mature deer. And so at that point we determined, determined there is a good buck in here. And so it became a process of elimination of just following the egg line until we found the drainage that it seemed to be, he was pouring out of, and that gave us a starting point. And so from there, you know, we pushed in and, and we started to find a lot more cover and things started to lot, make a lot more sense. Um, but that backing up to me was a very eye opening strategy of saying like, you know, if, if, if you're not finding what you like, you know, maybe it's time to take a step back and, and get to the food source because you know, they're all ending up there and it gives you a place to, to spread out from there. For sure. So Alex, we've discussed like early season tactics and kind of that mid October timeframe. The last thing I'd like to get into is your tactic down here in some of these areas for the rut, because you have a ton of encounters during the rut. So you're doing something right. I'd like to <laughs> like to hear more about it. Sit somewhere near the does. <laughs> no, but I mean, they do the same. It's just like, uh, it's just like Jay hooking a bed. They're, it's the same idea in the rut. It's just, if you know where the does are, you can, the bucks are going to come and check those does as efficiently as possible. And we've seen that a million times. That's, that's why I think the bottoms are so effective in the during the rut because they can just check everything above them. Um, but like in this hub, there is doe bedding on every single point in this whole thing. So like, what's a deer? What's a buck gonna do to check all of those until he finds a hot doe? That I mean, that's how I think about the rut. And you're thinking he just drops in the bottom to go back and forth between these points. Uh, if if the thermals are rolling but then there's certain times right if the thermals don't pull as hard when they're when there's a wind and and so if it's a dead calm day in in the evening i'm going to be i'm going to be in the bottom 100 percent 
because that's where they're going to have to be if they want to quickly check those doe bedding areas. Is my phone going off? Elon Musk. <laughs> what is that? Oh, Elon. Welcome <laughs> uh, to the podcast, <laughs> Elon. Yeah, we'll just hold him up to my mic. I love it. Uh, I think the, I mean, we looked at the hubs and kind of marked down a bunch for rut situations, and some of them are picturesque. I mean, they just have like the most gradual rolling hills that dump down. There's a scrape and there's trails. You know, you have five points that meet at point A. Yeah. And I just, to me, I mean, not being a rut hunter, I'm like, well, that's a good convergence. So maybe that's something that we focus on. Um, do you have any other features that you focus on though? Like we found, what was that one? It was, it was a sub ridge that jutted out off the main ridge, but it created like this little micro saddle that you can't see on a map. And so if the deer is walking south to north on the main spine of the ridge, he has to go over the little sub ridge that juts out towards the west. And right on that subridge, right in the saddle, there was like a, a, like six scrapes and yeah. probably 50 rubs. I mean, big, small, all sorts of rubs, different heights. Do you look for anything like that? I mean, rut funnels, I would consider that a rut funnel, right? Like, I don't really focus on that. Like, I, I focus on where are the does and how are they going to get checked, whether it's... And I've seen deer, like, you know... You, a lot of people have probably seen this where you've seen a, a deer bedded like right next to a doe trail or you'll see a rut post rub right next to a deer trail. Like they just want to monitor those high traffic areas. Like think about it. If you're a deer, especially during the rut when they're, um, you know, they're burning so many calories and resources, like they have to drink more water, like all that during the rut, they want to conserve energy and be as efficient as possible. At least that's my opinion on it. And, and so however they can do that, whether it's scent or sight or whatever they can do to quickly have an idea of what's going on is, is where they're going to be. So maybe it's a big, maybe it's a big betting point that they move. And you see this too. You'll see them move into different betting points. Like there's a betting point in this hub that we were in yesterday that you could sit there and watch the entire hub. So if anything crossed from one side of the ridge to the other, you would know. If it's another buck, if it's a doe, you could see it. And you could, obviously, they, can, they could smell everything on the other side of them. For me, there's no exact like setup during the rut. It's just whatever that, that area is, how can that buck most efficiently see or smell everything around him? And that's probably the spot that he's going to carve out for himself in terms of competition. Yeah. And that's a great point. And that's something that I haven't really looked into. Like I've, I'm trying to find the specific feature and just replicate that. Like I do early season. It doesn't sound like that's the best way to go about it. It sounds like it's more of like a, in the moment approach where you're trying to fine tune the exact spot that you need to be in. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the best approach is, but that's my approach. I don't look for anything specific during the rut because it's just so different. And I keep going back to this hub because it's so interesting to me because there's a doe group on every single ridge. So like, how do you manage that as a buck? Like, how, how do you juggle that many women? You know, like <laughs> it's hard. And so, um, so I don't, I don't look for anything specific other than where are the does? Like, that's what I want to know. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we are at the hour mark, longest podcast ever. Yeah. Uh, appreciate you guys coming on. We got one more day of scouting. We're going to get out there and see if we can find a couple more good areas and make a plan and hopefully come back this fall and kill some deer. Yeah.
Yeah, thanks, Jake. I think we're in really good shape for next year. I can't wait to check these cameras. That's going to drive me nuts all year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. We will have a lot of this footage launched over on the Latitude YouTube here in a couple of weeks. So you should be able to see a visual of some of this stuff, see Alex sheds possibly. Oh, you'll see. Yeah, yeah they'll be on there. <laughs> you'll see his reaction. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. you got to check these things out. They are absolute tanks. It is, I mean, I've I found a lot of antlers and I've never found antlers even remotely like this impressive it's it's ridiculous so yeah check out all the content over on the latitude youtube page we will have a bunch of stuff get posted here shortly thanks guys thanks jake thanks jake thanks jake